coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. Good network security hygiene. So passwords, strong passwords. Don't reuse your passwords across multiple platforms. In other words, if you reuse the same password across multiple platforms, if one platform is hacked, then that same password could be used to gain access to all other accounts that you may be using. Yeah. And the most and the most sensitive account is going to be your email because if you if somebody attacks your email and gains access to your email, then it's game over because they could reset every password that you have through yeah. email. So multi-factor authentication. Uh, multi-factor authentication is a password is something you know, and unfortunately someone else might know. But the second factor or multi-factor is something that you have. So that can be a text message to your cell phone. It could be an application to your cell phone. It could be a phone call, something that is going to verify that you are the user who you say you are when you're accessing these systems. Another thing that users could be doing is just patch management. You probably see these annoying updates on your phone, your iPhone or your Android. Another update, another update. Most of these updates are being created due to vulnerabilities. All of these platforms have flaws in them. They don't, these companies are massive companies, but they could, they did not, they did not know what the future was going to hold, what vulnerabilities were going to be exploited. So they're releasing these patches for their, for their customers. And if a customer neglects to install the patch, then their device is vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Today on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have John Campus, who is the founder and CEO of Empist. John's company helps other companies basically deploy technology and make their company run more effectively and efficiently. And there's a number of different ways that they do that, a number of different systems and and verticals that they play in. But today we really dive deep in the security of a, a company and the things that you can do to make your company more secure. So you know, we get into some of the the things that a lot of people make mistakes on, a lot of the things that he sees companies not doing correctly and some things that they are doing correctly. And we, we get into the tools and the things that should be implemented to make it, we'll, we'll say, more difficult for a hacker to be able to get into your your system. So we go over the exact tools and the exact ways that you can secure your company and your employees so that you don't find yourself in one of these situations. We also go over some of the the stories that he's come across over the years uh, that have cost companies, in some cases, seven figures, where they had someone infiltrate their, their technology and infl- infiltrate their systems and quite literally, you know, basically cost that company big, big dollars. So this isn't something that only big companies need to worry about. This is something that basically any company 
you know, should be integrating and building into their process. And especially in the beginning, when you're small, things like this is easy to to deploy into your process, into your onboarding process. And, and we get into some of that as well, the onboarding and offboarding process and how important that is. So, so you know, this, this isn't something that, you know, any one particular vertical should pay attention to. This isn't something that any size company should pay attention to. This is really something that anyone who uses computers in their company should be paying attention to. So please listen. Please take the advice. Reach out to John if there's anything that you don't understand or you, know, you feel that you know, maybe there's some other things that he can help with. But with that, I hope you enjoy today's episode of Pass the Secret Sauce. Really happy to be here today as well. Thank you, Matt. Dinner table, growing up as a child. I really grew up in an, an entrepreneurial family and household. I grew up in my parents' owned restaurants. Mm. Grew up in the restaurant industry. Uh, started working when I was eight years old. You know, it was really about working, family, love across the entire family and, you know, really growing up in that entrepreneurial household, I, I really always knew that I'd, uh, I'd be doing something for myself uh, as I grew older. I love that. I love that. What, what type of restaurant did your parents have? Uh, family dining. I, I, I really compare is the old school family dining 24, seven, 365. Really, that's the type of restaurants that they they started with. My my dad actually immigrated to the United States when he was twelve years old alone wow. in Greece. Wow! Yeah, I'll, I can't I can't imagine coming home. I have a I have a thirteen year old right now who um, you know really doesn't take responsibilities <laughs> and ownership of things, and just always comparing that to my dad being doing that at the age of 12, coming over from another country, not speaking yeah. the language at all. You know, yeah, it's family dining. Yeah, that's, that's, in, that's incredible. Would you say that your, your dinner table probably could have even been at the restaurant, you know, a good number of times? You know, I'm sure if you started working and, and, you know, they were always out working, you know, that probably was where the, the, the dining room table was at. Yeah, a lot of yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, many, many times we were at the restaurant and, you know, spending time with the family uh, at restaurants. And, you know, if it wasn't at the restaurants, it was, you know, at home, but really appreciated all the time we spent as a family. Yeah. Yeah. What were some of those things that you can remember, you know, growing up in that environment? Like, was it, was it, did it seem like it was a stressful environment? Was it, you know, were there, was it kind of like ebbs and flows, like a typical, you know, entrepreneurial, you know, journey has where there's, you know, some days you're on cloud nine and other days, like the, the sky is falling down. Do you, do you remember, you know, situations like that growing up? Yeah, I think, you know, with any type of business, there's always goods and bads and good things and bad things that happen. And oftentimes, as much as you like to leave it in the office or at work, it does tend to come to the house as well. Mm -hmm. You know, growing up, kind of had this, you know, separation. My mom was the boss at home. My dad was the boss at work and they tried to separate that as much as possible. But certainly, I mean, you know, stresses, you know, staff, vendors, distributors, really, you know, partners, everyone that, you know, my dad had to deal with on a day in and day out basis. Um, it certainly added to a level of, of stress, but he tried to do the best he could with, you know, keeping that separation when he walked 
into the door, it was give 110% to the family being there at home. And then, you know, would pick it right back up when he was back at work the next day. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, you know, you, you started working at eight and you always knew that you were going to do something for yourself. What was it about entrepreneurialism that, you know, called to you, you know, especially at such a young age? That's a great question. Yeah. Um, so my dad had me in the restaurants at eight. He first, you know, I was bussing tables. I was uh, back in the kitchen, you know, chopping salads. I really just loved the the excitement of being able to pave the path of your destiny. You know, it's, you know, as an entrepreneur, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, there's certainly a lot of challenges. There are a lot of obstacles you know, you anywhere you look, there's something that you need to deal with. You need to be a problem solver. But, you know, growing up in that, in that, in that household with that type of mindset, I knew that I wanted to establish myself as an as a business owner, as an entrepreneur that was able to really grow, grow an organization, but also grow and help all the people that were associated with the growth of the organization. So mm-hmm. family for me growing up, and then even to today, family extends outside of our bloodline, family extends to the people that are within the organization. And that's one thing that my dad certainly instilled in everybody that worked for him and something that I really, I really do with our organizations. Yeah, no, that makes that makes perfect sense. So, so what happened next? Right, you're you're working in the restaurants. I'm assuming you're still going to school. Did you do college? You know, what what were some of those next steps that you took? You know, through your through your development. Sure. So the the first business I started was with a, a friend of mine, and his name was Brad, and we actually started a detailing in how company. Old were you? Back, I was 14. Wow. Yeah, and start, we started a detailing company. I remember that. It was called J&B Auto Detailing for John and Brad Auto uh-huh. Detailing. Very, yeah. very creative name. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, we were detailing cars and we were working with dealerships and body shops and, you know, really kind of gave me that, that start to, although I was still involved with the restaurants, but just something to, you know, branch out and do on my own. Uh, went to college, went to Loyola University. And I majored in uh, management information systems. While I was working, uh, while I was going to school, I was also involved in technology, both in internships and also with some consulting. After Loyola University, I got a job and I was working for the largest data center company world at the time, uh, which was called Exodus Communications. Many people know of that company because they either made a lot of money or lost a lot of money. It was right around the dot-com. It was around the dot-com boom and the dot-com bust going into 2000. And uh, then I started Empest. Uh, we were formerly known as Digerati Group. And I really built this business with the mission and vision to really provide technology solutions to help other businesses reach their full potential through the use of technology. Mm-hmm. And, and explain that a little bit more, like what, what types of businesses, what, what types of struggles do they typically have, you know, that, that you could come in where Empus would, would serve them well? There's a, a big gamut of 
uh, various challenges that businesses face, you know, getting a competitive edge, properly utilizing technology to make their teams more efficient, go-to-market strategies, protecting their business against cyber attacks and cybersecurity. Really, over the last you know five years, that's something that's gained a lot in popularity for businesses trying to protect themselves against any type of cyber criminals or bad actors. Mm-hmm. Establishing presence in other countries, uh, really branching out, going into mm-hmm. more of a um, a world ro- worldwide uh, reach and touch for their customer bases. So it really spans the full gamut of technology, both on the IT and digital services. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and what are some of the things that you typically see some mistakes that entrepreneurs typically are making when it comes to, you know, security of their systems? I mean, let, let, let's say that they're, you know, using the Google, Google's suite of, of services, you know, they, they might use Gmail, you know, that that's branded for their company companies that run with those types of systems, pretty secure, would you say, or where do the vulnerabilities lie? I guess is the, the, the best way to be able to phrase that. That, That's a great question. I think that the biggest, there, there's certainly a level of security that's provided through these public cloud platforms, whether it's Google, G Suite, Microsoft, Microsoft 365, you know, AWS, there's a lot of these public cloud providers, and they certainly do a good job on providing a level of security of their platforms. Mm -hmm. However, the biggest, the biggest area of risk and exposure that entrepreneurs and other companies have is just, they believe that because they're in these clouds, they don't have to worry about security. And that's just not true. The biggest challenge that organizations have is protecting their people and protecting the data that their people have access to. Mm -hmm. Years ago, many years ago, hackers were sweating over keyboards trying to hack a customer's network. But now in today's day and age, all you have to do is create a social engineered email, a carefully crafted social engineered email and attack a user. And instead of trying to break down the brick wall of a network, they can just walk in through the screen door by attacking a user. Mm-hmm. So it's just this, it's again, it's this, they, just because you're utilizing a public cloud, that brings a lot of great benefits to it, but companies still need to be concerned about the security and their data, who has access to it and protecting that. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're saying that, you know, they, they can get in basically using an email is that is that you know there's a link in the email and a user would click on it and you know then that opens up some type of software or program on their computer which then allows that person to you know access that computer remotely is that kind of how it works or am i off base with that no exactly that's that's one one of the ways and it's a very common way also known as a phishing email Mm-hmm. A phishing email is something that is, is a social engineered email that is targeting a user. The user clicks on that email. It could be a link. It could be an attachment. Uh, at times, it could just be triggered by them opening it. Then that attacker can then get access to that machine. And once they have access to that machine, they can impersonate that user as being a trusted employee mm-hmm. of that company and then move across the network, move across systems as if they were, the attacker can do that as if they were the user and then essentially they can launch an attack to wreak havoc to an organization. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And are there any 
you know, there's the whole Mac versus PC debate. Is there is there anything that is more secure on the Mac side of things or any reason why a Mac is more secure than, than a PC? Is there any validity to any of that? There, there isn't validity of one platform being more secure than another. There's vulnerabilities that exist in both platforms. But for years, Microsoft and PC was the 800 pound gorilla. If, if, you're, if you're a, a cyber criminal, you want to be able to target as many people as possible. So when you're, when you're going to spend the time on exploiting vulnerabilities that may exist within one platform, you're going to want to attack a platform that has more users. So there are vulnerabilities that exist in PC and Mac and Linux and every operating system. It's just a matter of, are these cyber criminals putting in the effort to exploit them? Because there have, there are many known vulnerabilities that exist in both, in both platforms. However, you're going to see less publicly made public vulnerabilities made available in Mac, it doesn't mean that a Mac is inherently more secure. You still need to have multi-layers of security to protect those platforms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. What are some, I guess, warning signs or, or signs that uh, someone can look out for in their company to identify whether or not you know they are at risk? Are there certain things that, you know, if you fall into this camp, you know, you are in a higher risk bracket than, than someone, you know, someone else. I I would say that year, I would say that years ago, you know, you would probably be a little bit more concerned if you were in financial services or had very sensitive information. Uh, You should be more, more aware of, of what's happening. But, you know, back in the eight, back in the eighties and nineties, the only companies that were really concerned about being attacked or burglarized were companies that dealt with cash right? Mm-hmm. The, the restaurant, the convenience store, the bank, someone was going to, someone was going to walk in and try to burglarize them. The reality is now when you have all these companies with a digital presence. Hey, it's Matt. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that I've been involved in the multifamily real estate realm for a while. It's something that I truly, truly enjoy, and I wanted you, my listeners, to be the first to know about something new coming out. We're calling it the MultiWiser Deal Room. It's a community of individuals just like you who want to get wise about multifamily real estate investing, developing, and even owning and managing your own complexes. You'll be able to network with people from all sections of the industry, from investors looking for deals, project managers looking for investors, real estate brokers, property management agencies, contractors, remodeling experts, finance gurus, you name it, we're going to have it in the network. I've been at this for a while, and I know it takes a community to make just one of these projects happen. And the MultiWiser Deal Room is my attempt to shorten your learning curve and get you plugged into leading experts fast who can help you close your own deals. We start off with a video glossary of over 150 commonly used terms to increase your understanding and help you get moving. Also included in the community are training videos to help you be successful, like how to put together a pitch deck, build a team, and so much more. We're going to have live interactive Zoom calls where you can ask your questions and learn from people who are actually out there in the industry doing it. For more information, go to multiwiser.com. There is no discrimination across the type of company 
these attacks are not happening mostly due to, they're mostly due to financial benefit. There isn't like espionage. Someone's not trying to steal the trade secrets of the flower shop, but the flower shop is a potential target for a cyber criminal. So a company, all companies in, our, in my opinion, should really be concerned about being victimized by a cyber criminal. And it's not if, it, it's when something there, something like this impacts their organization. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and what are some steps that they can use to protect themselves against these types of, uh, these types of attacks? Great question. So just good network security hygiene. So passwords, strong passwords. Don't reuse your passwords across multiple platforms. In other words, if you reuse the same password across multiple platforms, if one platform is hacked, then that same password could be used to gain access to all other accounts that you may be using. Yeah. And the most, and the most sensitive account is going to be your email because if, you, if somebody attacks your email and gains access to your email, then it's game over because they could reset every password that you have through email. So multi-factor authentication. Uh, Multi-factor authentication is a password is something you know, and unfortunately someone else might know. But the second factor or multi-factor is something that you have. So that can be a text message to your cell phone. It could be an application to your cell phone. It could be a phone call, something that is going to verify that you are the user who you say you are when you're accessing these systems. Another thing that users could be doing is just patch management. You probably see these annoying updates on your phone, your iPhone or your Android, another update, another update. Most of these updates are being created due to vulnerabilities. All of these platforms have flaws in them. They don't, these companies are massive companies, but they could, they did not, they did not know what the future was going to hold what vulnerabilities were going to be exploited. So they're releasing these patches for their, for their customers. And if a customer neglects to install the patch, then their device is vulnerable Mm -hmm. to an attacker. So those are three things, password management, multi-factor authentication. You should deploy multi-factor authentication on every platform that supports it, whether it's your social media, your bank, your email, every platform. And just make sure your devices are up to date. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great advice. And as far as the the multi-factor authentication, like I use um, Google Authenticator for for mm-hmm. a lot of things. You know, is there is there any platform that is better than another, or is it just basically that you know having that process installed in the in your process is that is that good enough, or are there again is there something that you know people should be looking out for you know from the the system side of things. Uh, well, Google Authenticator is absolutely fine and is supported by many platforms. The 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 backend or the technical piece of a multi-factor, it, it's all the same. Mm-hmm. So to the end user, Google Authenticator is just an app that you're using to provide you that multi-factor. But Microsoft, Microsoft has their own. Duo is another product mm-hmm. that has their own. LastPass. So there's many platforms that provide you just a different ease of use in a different interface to that. So Google Authenticator is absolutely fine because the backend of multi-factor, the technical piece of it, it's all the same. Yeah, 
Yeah. And I, you touched on another, another thing that we use too is, is uh, LastPass. So, yep. you know, you, you don't have to worry about remembering your, your passwords and, you know, everybody or every site has a different password. So, yep. you know, another, another great service there. If you're, if you're a, you a, a, the owner of an organization, you can obviously, you know, deploy things like this, like, you know, when they're signing up with, with Google, like if you use Google, when they're signing up with Google, you know, turn on, you know, the, the multi-factor authentication and that is, are there any steps that you can see from a, a an organizational standpoint that maybe people don't necessarily consider when they have other staff or other employees that, you know, have access into their systems and, and, you know, maybe this, this, this person isn't as secure as the other, you know, the other people in the company for whatever reason, but, you know, it, let's say you do have multi-factor authentication deployed so that everybody's using that, at least from a Google standpoint, are there any other tips or things that, that, you know, organization owners should be deploying to other people, you know, further down in their, their company? Oh yeah, there are a few things. I mean, the, the biggest, the biggest gap that we've seen within organizations is they don't have a clear onboarding and offboarding procedure. Mm-hmm. So when they, when they onboard new staff, it's very inconsistent. Mm-hmm. So let's just say we had Jane. We think Jane has access to platform A, platform B. It may be platform C. We're not entirely sure. So when Jane leaves the company, what platforms are we re- are are they to revoke for Jane? Does Jane mm-hmm. still have access to something that she shouldn't have have access to? So not having a clear onboarding and offboarding checklist that is executed on hire and on, let's just say, fire mm-hmm. or offboard uh, is a big miss for organizations. And we emphasize the importance of that. As far as it's known that there will be individuals within an organization that pose a bigger risk to the organization, not necessarily because they are not, they're not responsible. They're just out there on the internet and just surfing and not with no care at all. It's not about that, but it's about the access of information that they have. So as an owner, the owner poses a bigger risk to the organization because of the access to the information that that person has and is a bigger target to, to, to a cyber criminal because of the information that they have access to. As I said earlier, right, social engineered email, if I can now impersonate a user, would I ra- rather impersonate the receptionist or would I rather impersonate the CEO? Mm-hmm. So it's really understanding what platforms each user has, having a good onboarding and offboarding procedure and then adding multi layers of security for those individuals that may have a that may pose a higher risk to the organization. Yeah, sure. What are some of the some of the things that have happened to people? Like you know, we we've said you know phishing and all of that. Give some uh, case studies or or you know situations that people have found themselves in because they may not have been as secure as what they they should have been. Sure. I mean, uh, where do I, where do I start? There've been many, <laughs> the, mo- the most common and is actually, I believe the most common, the last time I checked uh, report to the FBI is something that's called business email compromise, also known as BEC. And basically what happens is when 
a user is not protecting their email from a using multi-factor authentication or using strong passwords, a hacker gains access to that email. And what the hacker does is they begin to impersonate that person who they are now acting as that person. And let's just say it was a CEO or maybe someone in finance. And they're not, they're, they begin re reviewing all the emails. They begin redirecting all the emails from instead of coming into the inbox, they're going into another folder, which they're the one who's monitoring that. And they're looking for financial transactions. And when these financial transactions, let's say you pay your vendor every month, they're going to then intercept that conversation and say, you know what, we've changed our account. We've ch uh, switched yeah. banks. Please redirect it here. And it's coming from the person's email box, inbox, mailbox. They've hacked it and they're impersonating that user. They redirect the funds and there have been count, there have been countless number of, of exploits of attacks from this, that we've had organizations that have con contacted us that have misdirected funds in the seven figures. Wow. Wow. And, and you have 48 hours to report that most banks, if you yeah. don't report it, you may not figure that out until let's say the person who is normally paying you has now gone past due. And you're wondering why haven't they paid us? And then you reach out to their accounting. Oh, we sent the payment. We sent the payment 30 days ago. It never hit your bank account and hit the hackers. So that's yeah. business email compromise is big. And then ransomware. I mean, you hear about ransomware a lot. You've seen it in the news, whether it's a, a major hospital, whether it's oil, uh, meat packaging, really the supply chain risk with ransomware has been, has been great. And organizations really need to protect themselves. Because as I said earlier, it's not if, it's when something like this happens to them. And we believe that that they need to do everything they can to mitigate their risk. Yeah, yeah, that makes makes perfect sense. If Would you say that you would be in a, a pretty good situation if you're using systems like LastPass, you're using you know, the two-factor authentication on, you know, on as many platforms as, you know, they, they offer it. Would you say that you're probably in a pretty good, secure environment, you know, with that? And of course, there's anything can happen, but obviously those, those are kind of the two basic steps that, that pretty well every organization should be taking at least those, correct? Yeah, at a, at a very minimum, you need to you need to have strong passwords, multi-factor authentication at a bare minimum before you provide a login to any user within your organization, or you use at, or you use login information to access any system. You need to have both of those in place. Mm -hmm. And and you talked a little bit before about the the onboarding and offboarding process or firing process or whatever we we name that. Are there any tools that you found that that people use to you know track that type of information, or is that you know just a spreadsheet with people's names on it and you know the the different platforms that they can have access to, and you know green they have access to it, red they don't, or what does that look like from a tracking standpoint? Yeah, it, it certainly doesn't need to be sophisticated with the platform. I mean, at a very at a very minimum, you can track it in the spreadsheet, right? There shouldn't be a reason. We don't want to say that because you don't have this technical or or this system in place, you need to reduce, you know, your process because you don't have this in place. You can track it with pen and paper if you needed to, but mm -hmm. a spreadsheet, 
something that organizations need to have though in order to track auditing is a good ticketing platform where they have they can properly track the intake resolution of any of any technical system access change management incident management all in one so products such as like duskware would be a good product for that but there's there are many out there and from a from a uh, an employee standpoint or a user standpoint i guess you can say is there anything that that they can do or any tips that they can watch out for that says hmm you know maybe you know maybe i shouldn't click on that link or I shouldn't have opened that, you know, how, how do they know? Is there any warning signs or anything that they can, uh, you know, be on the alert for if this thing happens, like that's something to question. Sure. Yeah. If, if you're receiving an email with a sense of urgency that, you know, you need to, you need to do this now, there's an expiration around it. That's usually a, a sign that, you know, there's, there's something that is, should be suspicious. Look at the email address, look at the email, who the email is being sent to. Do you recognize it? Does the email seem out of character of the person? If you know, if it's one of your partners that you work with and other asking you to go buy gift cards, that's out of character. That's not something that they normally would ask you for. Uh, hover over the link. If there's a link in there, hover over it before you click it. If you put your mouse over that link, it's going to do the destination of that. If that appears, if that link visually appears that it's Google, but you hover over it and it's an email address that ends in a domain name that's overseas, as an example, or something that you don't recognize, you know that they're redirecting you somewhere else. So there are just a couple of things that you can really look for when you're receiving those types of social engineered emails. Yeah, that's that's great information. So so you you mentioned really quickly, uh, you you guys provide a bunch of different services, and we don't have time to go into all of them. But what what are some of the other things that you you know that you guys really excel at besides the you know the the security side of things? Uh, so we we really focus on managed IT services. Managed IT services for us are services that we provide that align perfectly with what organizations need. So when it's good for the customer, it's good for them and good for us. And if it's bad for the customer, it's bad for them and bad for us. So we're really looking at providing a proactive approach to managing technology for them. Cloud management, cloud transformations, backup and disaster recovery, and then digital services. Many of our digital services are web development, e-commerce development, digital marketing, and business process improvement. Yeah, I love it. I love it. John, this has been fantastic. If uh, if people want to learn more about you, your companies, what would be the best way to reach out and get in touch? Well, you can visit our website. It's You can visit our website at emphis.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn, John Campus. Find me on LinkedIn. Love to hear from you. Shoot me a message on LinkedIn. Let me know that you heard heard me on this uh, on your show and would love to engage with you if you need anything or any additional information that we can help you on. Excellent. Excellent. And, and one last thing too, any, any particular uh, markets or verticals or, or, you know, sizes of business that you, that you prefer to work with? Uh, we, we work, uh, we work across almost every major vertical, however, legal, financial, healthcare, manufacturing, are some of the big verticals that we work with. Uh, we actually, we are a, we do provide global services. So 
We have clients in over 27 different countries that we support. So if you're listening to this and you're anywhere in the world, would love to hear from you. And it's really organizations that are trying to, you know, reach their full potential utilizing better technology solutions. We'd love to talk to you. Mm -hmm. Love it. Love it. John, thank you for the time and uh, all the tips and the secret sauce. I think that this is going to help a lot of people that this is always something that's always changing and, you know, people sort of scratch their head as to, you know, what should we do now or what what should we be doing? So I know that, that you've taught me a few things. So, so many, many thanks. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Thank you. Thank you very much, Matt. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.